Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. So a couple weeks ago we began our study in the book of Zechariah. And again, last week I mentioned the fact that, um, backtracking a little bit as far as explaining that I use the word Yahweh a lot in explaining why it is that I, I do that and that the when you see the capital L, the capital O, the capital R, the capital D, um, in the Old Testament, um, so all caps, L-O-R-D, that, that actually is, um, instead of translating the Hebrew word, they actually put in the word Lord instead. And so that is God's name, Yahweh. And so instead of spelling it out, oops, well, we're going to go there anyway. I use the, the letters that come from it, Y-H-W-H. So... That's why I say Yahweh. Now, our study in the book of Zechariah, if, for those who really don't know this, and I don't know when the last time I shared this, is really part of a larger study that we began way back in uh, 2000, August 12th of 2012. August 21st. August 21st, 2012. So it's exactly seven years ago, where we began to go through the entire Bible. And so the goal was to go through in seven years. We've passed that, so we're now going through in eight years. <laughs> Anyways, but the whole goal was we were um, talking about Paul in the book of Acts, where Paul had declared that he had not shunned to declare to them the whole counsel of God. And the fact is that many churches don't teach through the entirety of the Bible. They have uh, certain sections that they like to go through, and so one of the things that God convicted me of was that it was important for us to be able to teach the entirety of the Bible, that God wrote the entire Bible for a reason. It wasn't pick and choose. It wasn't supposed to be that we go to the buffet and we choose which parts of the Bible we want to read, but that the entirety of God's Word was written for a reason. And so over the course then of the last seven years, um, we have sought to continue to teach on the Word of God. So right now we're 92% of the way through it. We have just two New Testament books, 2 Corinthians and Jude, that we need to finish in the New Testament, and we have about five books in the, New, in the Old Testament that we need to finish. So, so this 92% actually is probably as of the end of November when we finish Zechariah um, and when we finish Ezekiel and Jeremiah, which we're coming to the conclusion of in Sunday school as well. So, so just to kind of get you that background, that's where we're at. Now, two weeks ago, as far as our introduction, we, I put out the outline that we're going to be kind of following as we go through this and wanted to bring it back to this to kind of show you where we're at because as we come into the prophets, prophetical sections, you know, it's, it, you can kind of get lost in it. I'm not going to go back through and talk about biblical prophecy on this message, okay? And so you can go back to those other ones to kind of get a review on that. But just to remind us where we're at in the prophecies, okay, that there are five words, if you would, of Yahweh to Zechariah. We are in the midst of the second word. In the second word, I... Act 1, Act 2, it almost sounds like it's not true, like it's a play, and I don't mean it that way, other than there are two distinct sections within this word, how God is describing this to him, um, and using the visions that he's using, okay? And so we are concluding the zeal of Yahweh that began in chapter 1, verse 7, which comes through the end of chapter 3, and in verses chapters 4 through 6, we're going to be looking at some visions of Yahweh. So there's multiple visions, a myriad of visions that go on in that section. But it's all within the same grouping, okay? Because it's all within the time when God spoke to Zechariah in the second word. 
We're, we're told that, okay? And we're told that God comes to him with a third word. And we're told that God comes to him with a fourth word. And we're told that God comes to him with a fifth word. So we're just going to stick with God's outline, if you would, in my brain. I'm pretty simplistic when it comes to that, okay? And so, so that's where we're at. So last week, we began looking at this second word of Yahweh, um, with, which deals with the restoration of Israel, um, by looking at Yahweh's promise that he was going to return. But not only was he going to return, but again, he gave us then the specifics of it, which was very exciting, that he was going to return in person, that Yahweh was going to come and he was going to reside, he was going to actually reside in Jerusalem. And he tells us that specifically, that he is going to come and he's going to, he's going to dwell within their midst. Okay, And so, sure sounds like um, an incarnation of God to me. Okay, And so when you think about Jesus coming and living, you know, people say, well, no man has seen God at any time. Okay? I'll tell you, the scripture says that. Scripture says that no man has seen God at any time. It's a scripture passage. But what have they seen? What has God allowed them to see? This is important because as we go into today, we're going to see this a little bit more. What what has God allowed them to see? Say again? His His works. But if no man has seen God at any time and Jesus was on the earth, was Jesus God? Yes. So has, 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 have I seen God? No. God's word says so. So what did they see? God's flesh. Jesus had God's spirit in a fleshly vessel that wasn't God. A fleshly vessel that wasn't God. So Colossians says, in him the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. They saw a physical manifestation of God in the flesh. Think of Abraham on the plains of Mamre. He looks up and he sees what? Three men. He saw three men. And he ran out to those three men, okay? And he asks those three men to not pass by, but to allow him to serve them, right? Okay? But then as the course of the the encounter goes along, what does Abraham realize? One is Yahweh. One is Yahweh. How does he know one is Yahweh? Revelation. Revelation. No, no. There, there was something specific that happened. It's, it's Genesis, Genesis chapter 18, if you need to go. Good. Second one, second part, is he says, this individual, this man, says, I will come again this time next year, and your wife, missing a word, your wife, Sarah, will have a child. What was the big deal about Sarah having a child? She was old. You guys are missing it. I want you to think about it. What was the big deal about this individual declaring that your wife, Sarah, will have a child? Okay, yes, first step, how would he even know this stranger's wife's name if he wasn't God? But it goes deeper than that, Natasha. She laughed. And then he knows she laughed. Yeah, 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 yeah. You guys, are, this is so obvious, it's in front of your face. You'll get it, the minute I say it. What was her name? Sarai. Sarai. Her name was Sarai. When did she become Sarah? 
No. No. Just before this moment, God spoke to Abraham and said, No longer will your name be Avram, but your name will now be Avrahim. No longer will your wife's name be Sarai, but now her name will be Sarah. Nobody else knew that. Nobody. Yahweh was talking to Abraham, Avram, okay, and he lets him know this, and then he shows up at his door. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's pretty cool. Do you think God can show up at your door? I think God can show up at your door if he wants to. You know, we're told in the book of Hebrews that we entertain angels angels unaware. We entertain them how? Unaware. Why? (laughs) Because we're not expecting it. We're not expecting it. And it happens. Anyways, so Yahweh promises that he's going to come and he's going to dwell in the midst of his people. This is exciting stuff. And so we looked at Isaiah 48, if you remember that. We went to Isaiah 48, where it says that Yahweh speaks, and now Yahweh Elohim in his, or Yahweh Adonai in his Ruach have sent me. Sounds like the triunity, the trinity, the, the, the Godhead there to me in the Old Testament. It's not a New Testament thing, but Yahweh declares that he is going to be sent by Yahweh Adonai in Yahweh Ruach. Now, I know those are Hebrew words and sounds like a bunch of Greek, but no, it's really Hebrew. So, um, but that's what it says. And so within the Hebrew, there is three parts of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Yahweh Adonai, Yahweh, Yahweh Ruach. I don't understand it. It's, it's mind boggling to me. Okay, I don't understand the Trinity, but God's word declares it, and so therefore it is true. Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. He was Yahweh incarnate on the earth. If it's not true, I mean, honestly, the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons are going to come to your door. It's all through the word of God. If, if this isn't true, and I tell this to the Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons, I love when they come to my, my, my door. If, if Jesus isn't Yahweh in the flesh... I'm not just, I wouldn't become a Jehovah's Witness. I wouldn't become a Mormon because God's word is a lie. It's all through his word. So this comes into play when we get into chapter 3 here, okay? Because God has just said that. So remember that. God has just said that. And remember also up here when we had the fours. Remember we had the fours? The fours was with me, you know, anyways. And so we had the, the horses, okay, and the horns, and the craftsmen. And, and, and the horsemen came up and they reported to who? And remember, chapter 1, who did they report to? The angel of Yahweh. The angel of Yahweh. Again, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And so I, I, wanna, I know I sound in, in, inane sometimes when I, when I go through this, but it's important for us that he didn't come to the angel of Adonai, who could be just whoever, because the word angel, again, could be the word messenger. So it could be a messenger of a master. Make sense? But this was the angel of of Yahweh, okay, and that they were reporting to. They were reporting to the angel of Yahweh, okay? And so then Yahweh goes through the rest of this. So we're going to go into chapter 3 here, where we're going to see, um, we, so when we went through this, we went through the return of Yahweh, the residence of Yahweh, but today we're going to look at the righteousness of Yahweh, and this has such great application to you and I. That's what I said about earlier, about being just so full. It's just so exciting. So as Chuck read this, and we went through it, we see um, this... Um, this interaction um, with this man named Joshua. Joshua is the high priest, okay? And so I've got to be careful, again, as we talk about prophecy, to, to, to not 
eisegetically not read into a passage and say it's about this, okay? There are many who would want to say that this, at this time, Joshua is the picture of Jesus, okay? Which he is at times, but he isn't here, okay? He isn't in this passage. We know that because we're going to look at the passage by itself, okay? Jesus is already there in the passage, okay? So, as Chuck read it, we saw at the very beginning this ministry um, of Yahweh to Joshua, so I want you to look at the, the passage again, chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. It says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of Yahweh. Stop for a moment. Where, what is, let me go to the word appearance. Where is Joshua standing? Is he standing before Yahweh? Where is he standing? Before the angel of Yahweh. Big deal here, Okay. So, we're, in the book of Revelation, again, we can't go there right now, okay? But we're told that John fell down at the feet of an angel, right? Or, no, was it Peter? Anyways, oh, my mind's breaking up right now. Anyways, I think it's John. Falls down at the feet of the angel in the Revelation, and he's told what? Get up. Don't worship me, right? And so, we're not supposed to worship an angel. So, but here we have Joshua, who's standing before an angel of of Yahweh, okay? So we're going to continue, and then we'll go on to these little subpoints here real quick. He's standing before angel of Yahweh, and, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And Yahweh said to Satan, Yahweh rebuke you, Satan. Yahweh who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And so I'm going to drop through all that. We're going to come back to it. Verse 5. And I said, let him put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put clothes on him. And the angel of Yahweh stood by. Okay. And so the angel of Yahweh is standing there and Joshua is standing before him. He's standing before him. Okay. This is a big deal to me. So we're, we're told that the high priest was supposed to stand in front of who? Who were the high priests supposed to stand before? Somebody go to, to Haggai chapter 1. Somebody read Haggai 1 1. And then while somebody's going there, somebody go to Deuteronomy 10 verse 8. Okay, who's got Haggai 1 1? Okay, Chuck. And then Gerard, you take Deuteronomy 10 8. Chuck. Okay, so we have right there the fact that um, jo Joshua is the high priest. In the high priest, Deuteronomy 10. At that time, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless in his name to this day. Okay, so what were their functions? They were supposed to do what? To stand before, to stand before Yahweh and to... Minister to Yahweh, okay? But here is Joshua standing before the angel of Yahweh. Okay, now what do we know about the angel of Yahweh? Is this the first time he's ever appeared? No. How, how often? Can, can anybody tell me some other times that the angel of Yahweh appeared? You're guessing. Wasn't he in Exodus? Tell me, tell me whether you know. Before, Joshua. Before who? Joshua. 
Jo- the other Joshua. Okay, yeah, the Joshua. The so what was that? That was what was that time, Chuck? Before the Battle of Jericho. Before the Battle of Jericho. Okay. Okay, fiery furnace. Are we told that that was the angel of Yahweh, though? Or we're not really told that. Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he says, I see one who looks like the Son of Man. We assume that that's the angel of Yahweh. Okay, when do we see angel of Yahweh? Wrestling with Jacob. Well, there was an angel who wrestled with Jacob, but are we told it was an angel of Yahweh who wrestled with Jacob? Huh? Thought so. Find out. Okay, when do we see the angel of Yahweh? How about Gideon? Anybody remember Gideon? Okay. What, what happened with Gideon? A man came and spoke to his wife. No, 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 no. We're going to go there. That's Manoah. You're thinking Manoah. We're going to go there. That's Samson. Gideon. Say again. The angel came while he was threshing um, wheat down in the wine press. And he said, oh, mighty man of... Valor, right? And he says, dude, you're really talking about the wrong person. I am not a mighty man of valor. Okay? But we know that that was the angel of Yahweh. And what happened with the angel of Yahweh? What, 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 in that situation, what did the angel of Yahweh do? He accepted what? He accepted praise and worship. With Manoah and, and Samson, that's the one you were thinking about, Manoah's wife, the wife of Manoah, when this man comes, right? And then all of a sudden, they, they, Manoah gets to meet him too, right? And then he also what? Goes up in the, well, in the, the sacrifice. He accepts the sacrifice as well to himself. And that's when Manoah says, oh, we've what? We've seen the angel of Yahweh. You know? And, and his wife says, oh, don't worry about it. If we were going to be dead, we'd be dead already. Okay? So my point here is you can go back and do a study on the angel of Yahweh. Okay? Many times the angel of Yahweh is the incarnation of of Yahweh on the earth, okay? So, so here we have this angel of Yahweh, but what we have is a physical manifestation of Yahweh, and Joshua is standing in front of him. So the physical manifestation, I want you, where I'm trying to get you to understand it, an equation's happening here. The physical manifestation is the same as Yahweh himself. Do you get it? This is very, very important, okay? Because what we're going to see here, okay? Um, so let me handle this one real fast. Joshua, his, he is a reflection of the priesthood, but he also is reflective of the nation of Israel. We see that from verse 2, okay, that God's going to use this situation to, to give a lesson to Jerusalem as a whole. But he's also giving this as a lesson to believers of God in general. So Joshua is representing not only the, the true priesthood, but he's also representing Israel, but he's also representing all believers in God. How would that be true? Why would, he be, why would he be representing all believers in God? This is very important when it comes to us as, as, as New Testament believers. What are you? If you believe in Jesus Christ, what are you? You're part of the body of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. You are what? A You're a priest. 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us that we are a royal priesthood. We serve under the high priest. Who is the high priest? Jesus Christ himself. He is, with the priesthood, the order of Melchizedek. And so we, as servants of his, we are then priests as well. 1 Peter chapter 2, we are supposed to be serving um, God by ministering to people and serving the people and ministering to God. So we are the, not their mediators, but in a sense, 
we are mediating between, that we intercess on, to God on behalf of people, and then we take the word of God to people. So we are sort of in between as that priesthood, okay? So we want to move on. So in this, then we have Joshua's adversary, because what happens here um, is that he's standing there, and while he's standing before Yahweh, while he's standing before the angel of Yahweh, all of a sudden, the accuser of the brethren is there. Satan is there. The word shatan in Hebrew literally means adversary. So the adversary is standing there. And so he's standing there, and what does he do? What does he do? What's it say? Verse 1. End of verse 1. He opposes him. He opposes him. So, so Joshua wants to serve Yahweh, right? He's coming in the presence of Yahweh, the angel of Yahweh, and he wants to serve him. But Satan instantly is going to what? He's going to oppose him. Isn't it interesting? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. Okay, we're not going to look at all these ones up, but you, you can look them up. Check me out on this, right? But you know this passage. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 18. It's all about the spiritual war and the armor that we're supposed to put on. But we put on the armor because of the spiritual war. And it tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and what? Powers in? Say again? Darkness. Okay, in, in, in this world. Okay, so right. So it's all about us fighting against powers of darkness. Okay, there's a spiritual war that's going on here. And because of it all, we're supposed to take on the whole armor of God. Okay, Luke 22. Anybody know what's going on in Luke 22, verse 31? Luke 22 is the, is the time of Jesus' Last Supper and when they're going out into the garden, okay? And so before they go out into the garden, Jesus has a word for Peter. And he says, because they're sitting there, they're debating on who the greatest is, right? And Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, i got a word for you. Peter says, what is it, Lord? And Jesus says to him, he says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. <coughs> but I'm praying for you, Peter. Read between the lines. What does that say? Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat, and I said what? I said yes. I said you can do it. I gave him permission. Satan can't touch you unless God allows him to. We'll see that in these other passages. Satan, 1 Peter chapter 5, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may what? Devour. But he can't touch you unless God allows him to touch you. And when God allows him to touch you, it's for a reason. So... In Job, chapter 1, verse 6 to 12, in Job, chapter 2, verse 1 to 8, we see that there came a day when the angels came to present themselves before Yahweh, and Satan came as well. And God said, Yahweh said to Satan, he says, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him, no one righteous like he is. He worships me. And, Yahweh, and Satan says what? That's only because... You what? You blessed him. Yeah, take away the blessings, and let's see. So God says, Yahweh says to Satan, you can have him, but you can't touch, you can't touch him. You can touch anything he has, but you can't touch him. So Satan then goes and he just he kills his kids, he destroys his crops, and he destroys all of his herds. And all the messengers come back to him within 15 minutes, right? So he's pummeled with all this information. Job's response is, Yahweh gives, Yahweh takes away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. He worships Yahweh. Can you imagine how that drove Satan bonkers? 
I, I mean, I, you don't preach on that very much because you can't. There's nothing said there. But I mean, I just I can't imagine what it would have been like with, you know, they thought ah, we got it, we got it, and and it just gives God even greater glory. And so then they, the, the chapter two he comes back and he says, well, that's only because you won't let me touch him. Let me touch him, and let's see what happens. And he says, okay, you can touch him, you just can't kill him. So I want you to think about that. This is all playing on behind the scenes. We don't understand the spiritual war that's going on behind the scenes all the time. And so Satan is there to accuse Joshua. He's opposing him. And he's the accuser of the brethren is what we're told in the book of, chapter, book of Revelation. Okay, He's the accuser of the brethren. And so Jesus said, Peter, I let him, but I'm praying for you. This is kind of cool because what we see next. Satan stands in opposition. The adversary stands in opposition. But Joshua's got an advocate. This is really, really, really cool. He's got an advocate. Who is his advocate? Yahweh himself. Now, this is mind-boggling to me. This is why, this is one of these things that's kind of like, I just kind of like, this is so cool. Joshua should be standing before Yahweh. Would you agree with me on that one? Not the angel of Yahweh. In, in my mind, how theology goes, Joshua, the high priest, should be standing before Yahweh. The angel of Yahweh is the manifestation of Yahweh. Who is who? Jesus. So who should be his advocate? Well, Jesus. Holy Spirit as well. Intercessions for us, Romans chapter 8. But... Jesus, we're told, sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. I want you to think about this. Think about the picture that's being played out here right now. Where's Joshua standing? Who's he standing before? The angel of Yahweh. He's not standing before Yahweh. I want you to play this one out. Think of the ter- God gives terms specifically for a reason. It's to boggle our brains. Okay, it's to, to, to blow our traditions and make us understand truth. God desires for us to understand truth, and the truth has set us free. He's standing before the angel of Yahweh. Who comes to his defense? Look at the words. Yahweh. Not the angel of Yahweh, but Yahweh. And when Yahweh comes and rebukes him, he says, Yahweh rebuke you. Yahweh's saying this. Yahweh says, Yahweh rebuke you. Yahweh rebuke you. Do you see the equation between the angel of Yahweh and Yahweh here? Who is Jesus? Yahweh. Do you get this? If Yahweh is the eternal one, if Yahweh is the creator of heaven and the earth, if there has never been any other God but Yahweh, and neither shall there ever be after, if Yahweh is the only Savior, Yahweh, 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 and this is the entire Old Testament is all about Yahweh, and Yahweh being the creator, he is the one and only God. If that is true, if he is the one and only God, Who is Jesus? He's Yahweh. This is, this is, do you get it? This isn't New Testament. This is Old Testament. Where does the Bible say that Jesus is God? All throughout it. Do you get it? It's taken this for granted. And so, the focus of the rebuke, first of all, is on the accusation. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says, And we have an advocate with the Father, who? Jesus Christ the righteous, 
who is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. How cool is this? Okay? And so we got Jesus standing there, Yahweh, okay, with the angel of Yahweh, and they're defending Joshua in, in their own presence. This is kind of cool. It's like a court case going on here. And, 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 and Satan is just trying to, to throw the trash on, and God's saying, no, this is not going to happen. In fact, watch what's going to happen as we get in a moment. The authority of the rebuke is what? Is Yahweh calls upon his own name. What authority do you have as you fight the spiritual war? The name of Christ. The name of God. That's right. The name that is above all names. That is the name by which we command. Okay? It's not even Jesus. Remember, Jesus is going to be given the name that is above all. All names. It's going to be recognized. We're going to see this at the end of Zechariah, where when it comes in the millennium, that God, Yahweh, is going, to be his, is going to be one in his name one. Everybody's going to understand who Yahweh really is, that he is I am that I am. I, I know I, I sound like I'm I, I, like a beating a dead horse sometimes, but I think this is so huge because God puts it in his word, and it's for us to understand. His name is that important. And it's that name by which we are all going to be gathered together, the Jews and the Gentiles, all together under that one name. Okay? And so, the authority is upon that name. And so Jesus is told, we're told by Jesus in Matthew 28, that all what? All authority has been given unto him. Therefore, we are supposed to what? Go. Because of the authority that is there, we are supposed to go. So we go in his authority. The reclamation of Joshua. This is so exciting to me. This is real quick. We're going to get to the reclothing of Joshua. I don't know if you guys remember the very first message I gave when we came into here and we were um, into the, the, the chapel and we were um, just um, uh, consecrating the chapel and stuff. And uh, say again? Reclamation. It was a message on reclamation. And, and I wasn't thinking of this passage at all when I shared this, but it's exactly this. When we're, it's perfect that we've got that dumpster out there right now. I was just a piece of trash wood sitting on the burn pile. That's all I was. Do you realize, again, I'm going to use, because some of you, you're new and you weren't there. This is solid cherry Real cherry. This isn't just cherry stained. This is real cherry wood, um, crown mold. And so it was used up in, I think it was George Washington University. Um, and so the, the guy who did the work had some left. This is just scrap. Scrap. The, the cheer reel is, is poplar that actually had termites um, boring holes in it. They were just sitting in his shed. And we took it out. He was ready to burn it because it was just so messed up. And so I had a, a kid who wanted to, to come and spend the summer with me um, that year. And so Tim and I just spent hours sanding and sanding out all the, the termite holes and, and everything else and then staining it. Reclamation. This is all trash. It was just going to be burned. It's going to be thrown away. It was the wood that we were taking out of the gray shed. And what are we going to do with this wood? And I said, what? Just trash it. Get rid of it. 
It's the end of the project. We don't need it anymore. I was that piece of wood. Do you get it? That's what I deserved. That's who Joshua is. He's a brand plucked from the fire. He was being burnt up. Good for nothing. But God reached down and said, no, I want this brand. I can use this brand. I can use this piece of wood. That's who you are. God doesn't make junk. God has a purpose for everything that he makes. The question is, are we willing to be used by him? Are we willing to be the brand plucked from the fire? Well, it gets better than that because we get this red clothing. Because Joshua wasn't fit to be used. He's got these filthy garments. And I think that's what Satan is probably standing and opposing him all about. Just look at him. He doesn't look like a high priest. Look at the filthy garments he's got. Oh, that guy is full of sin and all this iniquity. And Yahweh says what? God says what? He doesn't say change his clothes. Well, sort of he does. But he says, I will clothe you. He says, take away the filthy garments. I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. How cool is that? God says, I get it, Satan. I get it. That person is defiled. That person isn't worthy of anything. But guess what? I died for them. I died for that person. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. You all know it. And he made him who knew no sin to become sin that I might become the righteousness of God. He who was righteous, he who was fully innocent and righteous, God himself took upon himself my filthy garments he swapped clothes with me. We're going to close in just a few moments with His Robes for Mine. It's a great song. His Robes for Mine. A wonderful exchange. What a deal. God says, I'll take the filthy garments and I'll clothe you with rich garments. What did Joshua have to do to get them? Just accept them. Not a thing. It's exactly right. He just accepted them. All he had to do was accept them. God did all the work. This is so cool. So he gets filthy garments, but with it he gets these rich gar- these rich robes. Okay. And in this, I want to think real quick about Luke 15, the prodigal son. The prodigal, he wanted, he squandered everything. Right. He told his dad, "What? I wish you were dead." That's really what he says. And I, I know it doesn't say that, but he says, "I want my inheritance one." Now, so what he's basically saying is, I wish you were dead. Because I want my inheritance. So his dad goes and sells off a third, a third of everything he owns. Now, whether he sold it all off to make sure it was, I don't know how that plays out. But I know that he had to sell off at least a third. He had two sons, the older son and the younger son. It's the younger son. So the older son was going to get a second, a, a, the, the second portion. Okay, And so, so in my mind, he sells off a third, and he sells, takes a third, and he gives that to his youngest son. His youngest son goes off into the world, and he what? Just squanders it away. And now, to the worst thing it could be for a Jewish kid, right? He's now living in a pigsty. 
He's, he's slopping the pigs, and he's starting to eat what the pigs eat. There is nothing worse for a Jewish mind, okay? That's what that, that, that whole parable is all about. This kid has gotten as low as a Jewish kid could get. He's living with the pigs, because pigs were what? Unclean, okay? He's living with the pigs, and he's eating what the pigs eat. And he finally has an aha moment. Have you ever had aha moments? What am I doing here in this pigsty? When my dad has this house, all I need to do is do what? Humble myself. Go work for him. But the first step is humble myself. Remember we talked about this. Maybe it was yesterday with the men's breakfast. I don't remember. But yeah, it is. Because there is a cost. There's a cost to coming to Jesus. We say it's free. It's a free gift. It really is a free gift. But there's a cost. What's the cost? Your pride. Your pride. You have to admit that you're a sinner and that you can't save yourself. Until you do that, you'll never come to Christ because you're going to think that you do it on your own. You don't do it on your own. You can never do it on your own. And so the prodigal has got to come. He's got to humble himself, so he does. And he comes and he's not knowing what dad's going to do. What should dad do? I mean, according to our minds, right? Go away! Go away! You've squandered it all. Now you're going to come and try to use me and abuse me again. doesn't happen that way. Dad runs out, gives him a big hug, and what does he do then? He gives him a royal robe. How cool. He reclothes him. He takes off. Could you imagine what his garments must have looked like after living with, the, with those pigs and eating the slop? The filthiness? Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 says, All of our righteousness is like a what? A filthy rag. And God takes off that, that filthy rag and he reclothes them. He clothes them with a cloth of righteousness. How cool is that? That's what our dad, our eternal dad, does for us. And when we get that, we have the spirit within us that cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, because we recognize his great love for us. This is exciting stuff for me. But then, but then I, I, it gets deeper. I, I just decided, I wonder what this word is for robe. And, and I, man, I just, this is too, really too cool. This word is mechalatza. I probably butchered it. Is it close? There we go. Okay. So it's, it, is too, it, is, it is forked in, its, in it, where it comes from. It is derived from a Hebrew word, okay? Chalatz, okay? It's only used twice. This word is only used twice, and it's here, okay? And so the mechalatza, okay? So it's from chalatz, which means to arm or deliver. So it is the word throughout the Psalms where Yahweh delivers me. Yahweh delivered, Yahweh delivered, okay? And in, in Judges, in, in Joshua, it's, it's the arming, how they went armed. It was the, 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 like soldiers, okay? So this garment that, that comes as a result of, 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 of a sort of a military concept, okay? But it also is believed to derive from the Arabic, kalasa, see how close that is, right? Which is a festive garment, so, Zechariah is being written when? You've got to remember, when is being written? We talked about this two weeks ago. Not on the eve, no, no. They're already returning. Because Zechariah and Haggai are the ones who are encouraging him to build that temple. Okay? So, they are in the land, because this is Darius II. Okay? So, they're already there after the exile. Okay? So, the exile has happened, right? And so, there is this... Co- concept where the, the Chaldean terms 
are part of them. Does it make sense? They've just lived over there in that region for 70 years. Does it make sense? So there are Chaldean terms that are being brought in. So you kind of, so in my mind, God doesn't make a mistake. This word is only used twice here in Zechariah. I think it means both. I think it's a festive garment that was achieved through what? Warfare. What are we supposed to put on after we put on the belt of truth? The breastplate of what? The breastplate of righteousness. Your righteousness? Whose righteousness? God's righteousness. But it's still, what, what is that breastplate? It's armor. It's armor. There is a battle that's going on behind the scenes that you don't get it, I don't get it, but there again was that whole army around Bethlehem when Jesus was being born, right? I mean... Satan, we know from the book of Revelation, was the dragon who wanted to consume the child when the child was born, but he wasn't able to do that. And then, do you, do you realize the warfare that was going on when Jesus died on the cross? The battle that was going on at that moment. I mean, it was, and Jesus said, at this very moment, I could call down 10,000 angels, and it, it could happen. There's this... They, they were there. They were at the ready. They were watching their, their, their Savior. They are watching their, their Lord die on the cross. We're told by Peter that the angels looked into these things. They, they were just amazed at what all was going on. They couldn't comprehend what was going on. They didn't have a chance for redemption like you and I have a chance for redemption. This is all amazing stuff. And so we are given these robes of victory that have been won for us through the spiritual war that we are then to wear as breastplates, not of our own righteousness, but of his. Some of us wear breastplates a lot. I'm going to pick on you, Isaac. You sort of have a little bit of breastplate on you. You're saying, i got a polo shirt on. But on your polo shirt, you got something on there. What's on your polo shirt? What's on the side of the pocket? I can see it from here. Something red. It's not your tag. The tag goes back here. It tells me the size. What's that tell me? Yeah, what is it? Is it Isaac? Levi. Levi. What's your breastplate say? Magellan. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? Okay. You may have Under Armour on. You may have I mean, Adidas on. It's actually Adidas. I met the people who work for Adidas. It's actually Adidas. It's a German... Yeah, and Michelle, Michelle's saying, yes, yes, they finally understand. <laughs> it's a German term. It's Adidas. Anyways, look, we are supposed to be wearing the breastplate of who? Of Jesus, of Yahweh. I mean, that's whose army we are in. You get it? When people look at it, I'm not saying it's wrong to wear the shirts with other names on it. That's what Martin Brown. But that's the ideal picture. And so this festive garment becomes this this garment of righteousness, which I then wear when I'm out there because it's not my righteousness. It's, oh, you got polo on. See, you're right in front of me. I just, I don't, I was looking out there. I just wasn't, I normally look down here and I, right? And so, and so we ought to be wearing this thing. We're giving it to us. It, we didn't have to buy it. We didn't have to do anything. We're just giving it. How cool is that? But then we get into the second part, the message to Joshua, which is very quickly as we go through this, there's not as much, but it just builds on what he just said to him. 
First of all, he gives them this message of conditional promise. Promise is the key. Promise. There's a conditional promise first. Okay? What's the promise? The conditional promise. He says, if you will walk in my ways, if you will keep my command. Okay? If you are, bring it together. If you what? Say again. If you obey. Good. If you obey, then you shall also judge my house and likewise have charge in my courts. I will give you places to walk among those who stand here. He's not talking about redemption here. Do you get it? This is critical. Did he talk about redemption at all yet? Yes. We just got done talking about it. Right? He took away his filthy rags and gave him rich garments. This has nothing to do about salvation. This has everything to do with the blessings of God and how you will have the opportunity to serve God. You have greater opportunities to serve God if you what? If you obey. Duh. We don't live that way, though, because we don't parent that way. I want you to think about our culture. We're missing the whole point, because whether our kids will be obedient or not obedient, we say, oh, I'll just give them the ice cream. They get the blessing. It ought not to be that way. That's not how it should be. Okay? Rather, God says, look, if you obey, you'll get greater privileges. This is how it plays out. If you handle the trust that I've given you, and you can do this, and you can be obedient, then you'll get greater opportunities. If you don't, then it's not going to happen. I wonder how many places we don't get to walk. How many charges we don't get to have because we're not walking in obedience. You walked in obedience, and we got to have a, uh, a machine take down that. Could you? I'm not picking on you, Brian. Okay, But how about if we walk in obedience over to our neighbor's house? How about if we walk in obedience over to people when God says they need to know about Jesus? I wonder how many privileges... How many opportunities we would see God bless, but we don't do it because we want to do what we want to do. Remember, he's the what? Joshua, the high priest. He has a function to do. We have a function to do. We were told to what? Go and make disciples. Are we doing it? A message of prophetic promise. I am bringing forth my branch, the stone with seven eyes. Okay, I got three passages I want folks to go to. Somebody go to Zechariah 4.10. Somebody go to Revelation 5.16. Who's got 4.10? Zechariah 4.10, that's an easy one. Come on, not all one time. All right, Gerard. Somebody do Revelation 5.16. Who has that? All right, Mark. Okay, and then Isaiah 11. Um, we're only really going to do one to three or something like that, but you want to get that, Chuck? Okay. Say again. It doesn't have a 16. Maybe it's six. Look, look at verse 6. Does verse 6 say it? Let me look at the back of my passage, my, my verse here, because I have it here. 5 and 6. Revelation 5 and 6. Sorry. Okay. All right, so let's go Zechariah 4.10, because we're talking about seven eyes here on this thing. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord. Okay, so first, we, when prophecy, we want to start within the prophecy to, to define the prophecy, right? So we have this, this branch, 
which also is being referred to as, in, I'm not ignoring the branch for a second, we're going to come back to it. The branch, right, which is also referred to as a stone with seven eyes. We're told in Zechariah about the seven eyes, and they are the seven eyes of God, which travel throughout the earth, if you would, that look upon everything, okay? His omniscience, okay? Revelation uh, 5, verse 5 and 6. Okay, so seven, 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 seven. But we know the lamb had the seven horns with the seven eyes, which were the seven spirits. Okay, so that's where we get to Isaiah 11. Okay, um, Chuck, you don't have to read all the way down to verse 12. The reason I put 12 there is because if you read all the way down to 12, that goes into the fours that we talked about last week. But read down to um, just verse 1 and 2. And I want you, to, as he's reading this in verse 1 and 2, I want you to start counting with your fing- fingers here, okay? Go ahead, Chuck. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. A what? A branch. A branch. So we're talking about the branch. Go ahead. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Okay, do them again. Just you count them? Go ahead, start again. What's going to fall on them? Did you count them as he went through? There's the seven spirits. Again, always compare spiritual scripture with scripture. Okay, it's it's there. God God doesn't hide things. Okay, he can he confounds us sometimes. But for those who want to study, for those who want to understand and to learn, God's word is there. Okay, so we've got the branch who is Jesus, right? Messiah is coming, and when Messiah comes, he's going to have these seven eyes. Now, not like we think seven eyes. Okay, but the idea is the seven eyes represent the seven the the seven spirits of God, and if you read through those seven spirits of God, they all have to do with what? Well, wisdom and knowledge and understanding. God has all understanding is the idea. He knows all. He sees all. He knows all. Okay? And he knows all about what? Us. That's exactly right, okay? He knows all about it. He knows all about Israel. So this comes into play, because remember about the whole filthy rags and Joshua representing um, Jerusalem as well, right? So he says, For behold the stone, verse 9, back in chapter 3, Behold the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. I'm not going to tell you what the inscription is. I don't know. Could it be how we're engraved upon his hand? I don't know how this plays out. It's kind of fun, though, right? I mean, he's etching. And here, look at what he says as a, as a, right as a response to this etching. Okay? I will remove all iniquity of the land, of that land, in what? In one day. Romans chapter 10 tells us, Romans 10, I'm sorry, Romans 11. Romans chapter 11 says, in, in, at that time, all Israel will be saved. It's going to happen just like that. There, and we're going to see this at the end as we go through the book of Zechariah. We're not preaching through the whole book today, right? Okay? But we're going to see in chapter 12 that, that, that Messiah, Yahweh is going to come, and Yahweh says that every eye will see, um, they will look upon the one whom they have 
pierced. Yahweh is talking about that. They're going to look upon me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for me as one mourns for his only begotten son. It's all talking about Armageddon, when he comes with all the saints behind him. And, and all Israel is going to see that they've blown it. And they will receive Messiah. And all Israel will be saved. And at that time, all Israel will be saved. That he will remove their iniquity. He will cleanse the land. And he will begin to reign there. So in the end, what robes are you wearing? I don't want to presume. I, 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 so everybody here is saved. I don't know that. What robes are you wearing? Are you still wearing the filthy rags of your own righteousness? Are you trusting in your own righteousness before God? If you are, what's preventing you from asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to be clothed with his righteousness? Other than what? Pride. If you had your robes exchanged, in other words, if you're a believer, then you are to be a priest of the Most High God, representing him to those in the world and praying to him for those in the world. How are you doing on that account? Are you representing God to the people? And are you prayerfully, intercessorily, representing the people to God? This week is our week of prayer and fasting. Every night we're going to come together. I challenge you, even if you can't be here, that you join together every night. That you make a focus this week of laying yourself out before God and asking God to help you to grow in your walk with Him, in your relationship with Him. Is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. You are God most high. There is no other God but you. And you have given us the privilege of knowing you. God, I pray that you would help us to serve you with gladness. Lord, help us to magnify you with our very lives. Lord, thank you for taking away our filthy rags and replacing them with rich, festive robes that have been won through the war. You are the victor. Help us to live as victors, Lord, that we may glorify you. In Christ's name, amen.